Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Acts 2, 42 to 47. And the team is the fellowship of the believers. Fellowship of the believers. I read. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number those who have been saved. We thank God for the reading of his holy word. The campus pastor, Reverend Macy, will bring us part three of the series started by senior pastor on church growth. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I will share again. Father, we thank you this beautiful Sunday morning. you feel like come for fellowship, come to serve, come to be on mission with you, to come to worship, and to come to be disciple and grow with Christ's likeness. We know that you will build your church. Yes, you will build your church. You will build your church. So build your church this morning. We pray for our senior pastor, the Lord. We will keep him, watch over him, strengthen him. He will be with us soon. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hallelujah. I bring you greetings from our senior pastor, Reverend Dr. sermon Today I'm going to continue or finish the series the way to begin. He eagerly wanted to preach this morning. But last night he called. He says, you know, I have tried to convince my doctor to come and stand, but he asked that I should hold on. So by the medical doctor's advice, I has to hold on today. Praying that tomorrow he will be able to honor and other commitments in Nigeria uh, as he prepared to be the guest speaker for the Baptist Commission Conference. So I am very privileged to continue where Papa started about three weeks ago. You know, he did two series. The Dickens came in last week to help us understand the process of the senior pastor. We're trying to finish the last part of the church growth series. So be with me. I will do a refresher in the next few minutes, and then we'll continue. Let me do my quick review, and then I'll come to my main sermon for it. Can we all say together the mission of Calvary Baptist Church? That's why we are here. Worship. Wow. 
you take a picture and use as a screensaver, it wouldn't be wrong. I can remind you why you come to Calvary Baptist Church. This is why this church exists. Can we get a vision also? Where we are going, what we see. A vibrant congregation. Uh huh. Please, if you have not memorized this today, take advantage. Take, now the screen is big. I can hide for you to take above my head and store it. A vibrant congregation. And I, impacting the world. One day I know I'll get permission in here just to preach from this for 30 minutes. Just this one. A vibrant congregation. But I'm not preaching on that. I just want us to be reminded. So when he started the series, he talked about four types of church growth. Because it's taught already, this is a reminder. So if I'm going fast, forgive me. So internal growth occurs when members sense a deepening of authentic religious experience. When you come and the worship is good, when you come and the prayer is going on, and when you come and you know that a small group Bible study is transforming your life, it's an authentic experience. So you want to invite friends to come. That's where internal growth begins to happen. And it happens within you and it overflows to outsiders. Expansion growth is known as numerical And I want to take advantage to introduce this book. Uh, I was part of luncheon. I didn't write it. A good friend of mine, I've been on mission with him for the last 15 years. We travel to everywhere, from Ivory Coast to Senegal to Gambia to Liberia. His name is Yao Pebi. He did it with another friend of ours who is in Kenya, Sam Ngugu. The book, the book is Africa to the Rest. Africa to the Rest. It's exactly what is happening in numerical growth in Africa. Do you know that as of 2019, the churches and Christianity in Africa became the largest around the whole world? We are more in terms of numbers. I know. Please wait a minute. I can hear you say, oh, but we are not deep. We have not gone. That's why we have. I know. I know. But in terms of people who profess to be Christian, for the first time in history, since Jesus came into our world 2,000 years, this is the first time. Africa numbers of Christianity had surpassed America, has surpassed Southern America, has surpassed the whole of Europe, has surpassed the whole of Asia. So we, we like to tell the story of it. So it's a lot of research work, and I would recommend that you get a copy if you're interested to know what is happening in the mission field. So now Africa is no more a mission field. Africa is a mission force. Can we say it? Africa is what? A mission force. In the next few years, if we do right, we'll be able to send more missionaries than all the missionaries that were sent to Africa in the last two, three hundred years. If we do our work well, already many large churches in Europe are all headed by Nigerians and Ghanaians. That is a fact. And we thank God for what he's doing with Africans in the diaspora. So that's, that's the good news. The largest churches you'll find on, in the world right now are in Nigeria in terms of numbers. And that is something to celebrate. It's happening. We say, oh, but Nigeria has issues. Oh, yes. We do not say they don't have issues. But the church, when it does what is right, is the hope of the world. Amen? So that's expansion growth. Can we go on quickly? We talk about extension growth. It's when a church plants a daughter churches in communities that are familiar. So, for example, we go to OEB and plant a church. We go to Amazon. Oh, but how is OEB church? Say, oh, we are finding the location. By God's grace, we just bought a land. So we're working on it to build. There are people who are retiring, moving there. They don't need to travel back to Adabraka or Shiashi for church. So it becomes a community. And sometimes, if you're fortunate, it's among the people who speak the same language or have something in common. 
We call that extension goal. God willing, Easter Sunday, we are launching a new church plant at Committee 25 at Greenshield International School. And it's still Calvary. But, oh, I thought you would celebrate. So I'm here talking about church growth and I'm sharing a lot of what is happening within us. So that's extension growth. We'll talk about bridging growth. It's when a church plants a daughter church in completely different and new culture. So for example, if we say we are working with life ministries, which Reverend Dr. Dorabote leads, and they are preparing for missions to go to the north. If we as a church come alongside them to plant a church in an indigenous group, maybe in where they are going. I mean, why are you going this time? You are going to Boko? Pastor Pfizer. We're going straight to Pastor Pfizer's food. What he calls is 19, around the area. Boko. And we go and plant a church right there with them. It doesn't have to be Calvary Baptist Church. It becomes another church that perhaps is relevant to maybe Boko Baptist Church, for example. Then we are doing a bridging growth. Hello? So these are four things to which we're told church needs to grow in. Remember, no matter how you are growing numerical, internal, whatever, this four, if, if you've ever taken a look at the purpose-driven church, you'll find elaborate illustration and example. We grow warmer through fellowship. So people say, oh, but I am worshiping online. There is nothing wrong. It's good to worship online. But can you make an extra effort to have fellowship with somebody online? There are people who go online who say nothing. You don't even know they are there. They are in church having fellowship, but they are not growing warmer through fellowship. Grow deeper through discipleship. If you are in this church, you don't go to small group. Anytime you hear small group, oh, it's for those Sunday school teachers, Uncle Max and you can abuse group. No, 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 no. It is part of why church exists. It's part of the purpose of the church. That is how church grows. Through discipleship, small group, intentional group learning. And one of the things I was sharing with Papa yesterday, or he was telling me, of where we need to be moving as a church in the next month, is, is begin to look at even further smaller groups. Not just on Sunday. But for example, we can have a small group that looks into family issues. So family life groups for a certain season, maybe for eight weeks, for six weeks. And we do series on how to enrich your marriage. So people come in in that group. We can have small groups for people who are coming out of addiction. Maybe they are struggling with pornography. They are struggling with masturbation. They are struggling with all kinds of lust. So that small group comes. Some churches I serve in the U.S., if you come on Monday and we're having small groups, it was funny. Because they actually, at the point, we have to have a break, what we call smoke break. I know if I mention this in church, it's like, Pastor, you are not. No, no, but you are working with people who used to smoke three, four packs a day. Now they are smoking less than a pack. And when you stay with them more than 30, you need to give them a break to smoke. You say, but where is the Spirit of God? God works on them. Eventually, many of them come out of smoking through intentional discipleship. Hello? Yes, I've seen that. So we grow stronger through worship. Worship is a lifestyle. It's what we do on Sunday. It's what we do on Monday. It's what we do at the office. Anything we do that brings glory to God is worship. And larger through evangelism. If you are here, three months God is giving you. You haven't invited someone to church. You haven't mentioned the name of Jesus to your friend. Your friend travels all the way from Egypt or Ethiopia. You don't invite them to church. That means you don't even care about others. Please take note of that. We grow larger through evangelism. Each one of us at least can win one. Hello? Categorization of church. These were the numbers they gave to us. As Chelsea right now, we are between a middle-sized church. But our space allows us to grow even to a mega church. It doesn't all have to be in one place. Like we're talking, we have three services happening. 
And who tells me, if Pastor Kafu is led by God, to say, I'm planting a church in the morning, 8 o'clock, we don't need a building. We want to put tent. We want to put a tent and then preach to all the 40,000 university students scattered from East Legon to West Legon. And we are looking to attract 500 of them in the tent. And they come from 6 o'clock to 8. That is the service we want to do. It's contemporary service. It's not youth. It's not adult. Anybody is welcome. With prophetic gifts and miracles and signs in different type. Nothing stops us. Hello? Because we have the space. The amphitheater can sit comfortably 400 people. What stops us from not running another morning service there? We have no excuse. So these are the numbers. Can we go? Can we go? And then we'll talk about the four fundamental truths of the kingdom-focused church. So there are churches that are not kingdom-focused. There are churches that are pastor-focused. There are churches that are bishop-focused. There are churches that are prophetic-focused. It's about the prophet. I've seen churches when the bishop or the prophet travels, people literally don't go to church for the time he's away. But sometimes the pastor can't travel. It affects the finances. It affects the morale. It affects everything. Alright? So we're talking about a church that is focused on the kingdom of God. The lordship of Christ is number one. It's about Jesus. Number two, the Holy Spirit is at work. There's a lot of corporate prayer from the church. And the church leadership is very authentic. It is not about them. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that all this fivefold ministry of an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a teacher, a pastor must equip the church and release the church to do what God wants them to do. A church where the pastor does everything. Midweek service is the one who preaches. Sunday, he's the one who preaches. Small group, he's the one who does. Everything in the church is done by the pastor. That pastor, I'm sorry to say, is not kingdom focused. It's about him. That's everything. It's not Ephesians chapter 4 compliant. He's not equipping the body of Christ. So sometimes people ask, why is it that midweek we don't bring all the pastors? I said, maybe we are a Baptist church of Ephesians chapter 4. Hello. The Lordship of Christ. Can we go on fast? One main focus. So remember the plan we talk about. Four, one, five. Okay, the one main focus is the Great Commission. It's the driving force of missions and evangelism for believers and churches as they go to baptize and teach. It's a big focus. Whatever we are doing must allow people to come into the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus. And I'm talking about even your business. You're a doctor, you're a nurse. Whatever you do, I mean... A must drive people to God. So this is a five. So one, four, five. We talk about four, one, and then the five. Evangelism. Sorry, can I run that? So we have evangelism. It's like your five fingers, right? We have evangelism. We have a discipleship. Usually we say the tall one is discipleship. The small one is fellowship. We have service or ministry. And then we have missions. So we start. Worship is like your thumbprint. Whatever we are doing, it must give glory to God. So worship is like a thumbprint. We come to fellowship. We come to discipleship, we come to service or ministry, and then we come to missions. I said mission exists because worship does not. If the people were worshiping God in all the people, tribes, and languages, we wouldn't even have to do evangelism. Alright? This is what must come out. Alright, so four key strategies of the Kingdom Focus Church. Corporate worship like we do on Sunday, Wednesday, and other gatherings like on Fridays. Please, I'm welcoming you. Next Friday, don't miss. As we pray and fast, we have extended time of prayer every Friday. It's a different type of service. And I want to encourage you to be there. There's an open group leading members to faith in Christ and encouraging them. So anybody is welcome. I used to lead a group in the U.S. called JIG. We call it the gig. So I used to run on the university campus because a lot of them were agnostics and there were people who said they were atheists. They didn't even believe there was God. 
So when we do this group, I do around gym, I do around. It's just like gathering the people and any first thing is welcome. I have gay, lesbians coming to it, coming to challenge the Bible position. And it's open. No question is wrong. Anybody is welcome. We call them open groups. I led it for about two years. Many of them came to saving knowledge. There was one actually who followed me to Ghana to do missions work here. One of the time. Because they understood there was space for everybody. Open group. There is a closed group. The focus is to build leaders. So that one is not open to anyone. So among deacons and those who are in deacon training, it's a small group. You find people. You mentor them. You help them. It could be a small group with life ministries who are going on outreach. So it's a group, they mentor, they pray, and they support each other. And they are ministry teams. They build the body of Christ to accomplish work inside. In fact, senior pastor has taught this many times, and I'm praying we get there. Where we have deacons, for example, who are in charge of other ministries. Right now, they do a lot together. But there are deacons who could be specific, for example, in helping people's homes, repairs of homes. So it's a whole ministry. The church does it on behalf of especially aging church leaders or members who can get people to help them. So among them will have plumbers and electricians, be able to organize. Things like that. We call it deacon-led ministry. So that's what happens in there. These are the results that must come. Making disciples, that is winning spiritual loss and helping them to assimilate, to belong to groups in church. Maturing believers, church in disciples, has intensified the teaching and continues the assimilation. And then we don't stop and mature. So that's where many churches, we are guilty, including us. So you start a Calvary way, you go through all the books and the steps, you mature, and it's like you are there. We must multiply ministries. Multiply ministries. Providing members opportunity for service and missions. One of the things I did many years ago with the youth is, please, anybody who feel burdened to do something but is not in church. For example, uh, a, guy, a guy walked to me and said, I want to teach the children in the area. What are you going to teach? I thought I was going to say Bible. He said, no. I want to teach them science and math. Initially, it sounded strange. Like, is it also a ministry? And I said, can you start? By the time Reginald started this ministry, many parents got to know about it. It was a new chapel. They started helping them. Even before we moved here to help with the community library. Children were being dropped. He was supporting. The children's grace started improving. Some of the parents willingly started giving him money. He resisted it. He said, it's a ministry I'm doing for church. But I said, we still want to support. We may need things. So he had opened up accounts with a credit union, and the monies were put there. Guess what? Some of the children who were struggling were able to use the money to support them. That's ministry. It was not under men's. It was not under women. It was not hospitality. It was just how he felt passionate to use his gift to serve in ministry. I don't know what you feel passionate about in church. That is not what is happening right now. You are allowed to come up with your own ministry. Just talk to the pastor. Let's provide direction and support. And make sure that you have other people who serve alongside you. Today, I'm going to conclude part three with what pastor, senior pastor started. So I have a few scriptures. I won't read all, but it's for reference. Acts 1.8, many of you know. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47. And then we have uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, which is almost like a direct opposite of Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, Acts 8.1. And then my last one will be 1 Corinthians 3. I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. God is the one who brings increase. Amen? These are seven key responses we discovered, actually, from Tom Rayner. Tom Rayner is a church researcher. Something I'm also praying that in Ghana we start to have. Maybe starting with Calvary. Some of you professors here who have done a lot of research are coming on retirement and think of forming a think tank and doing research on the behavior of churches. The African church is growing, but nobody is researching it. 
is something that bothers all of us. So most, many of us who like to study or who are in school and doing PhD, you have to make references. Even in Africa context, you have to quote an author from abroad or an American professor. But we are praying we get it. So there were seven things, uh, that seven reasons people choose church. And number one, it's about quality of sermons. If people feel the message that coming from the pulpit is authentic, it's genuine, it's not self-seeking, it's not about the bishop, the pastor, the prophet, and it's in scripture base, people will go 83%. Those who feel welcomed by leaders, they come to church, the leadership feel that they are needed, there's space for them, they stay. Style of services, that means you don't run one service. There are different types of services, like senior pastor will talk about the five services, C, five C's. The cafe service, the contemporary service, the classical service, because you are meeting people at different needs. People feel that they can stay. The location, availability, accessibility, parking space, it matters to people. Education for kids. If they come and your children's ministry is not organized, you have put kids as young as two years, together with 10 years, all in one classroom, some of them will not come back. They feel you don't care about the kids. But nobody goes to school with two years and 10 years in the same class. Why should that be in church? That is why we have all these small room classrooms. When you go, toddlers have a place two years, three, and they have different ages with different teachers to help them. It's important for some people. And having friends, family in the congregation, some people will stay in the church if they find a colleague from the office or find an old schoolmate, a friend they can relate with. If they visit a church, they can't find friends in. They are gone. And then the last is availability of volunteer opportunities. There are people who say, Pastor, if I come and there's no space in your church to serve, I'm sorry, I can't stay. I want to do something in church. I just don't want to be a consumer of religious services and products. I want to be able to participate and contribute to do something. Amen? So, Antiqua, you are welcome again for the singles, uh, adult single ministry. Please, let's take it. There are people who want to serve. That is what they feel passionate about. Can we go ahead? Seven key reasons why people do that. For many years, the primary indicator of health in churches, okay, is weekend attendance. Many people will measure how many people came to church? For our church, every, every day we measure. So we say about 270 people came to church. Sometimes we go to 350. That has been the traditional score part. You measure how many people sit in the seat. So you provide three, 400 chairs, and maybe today, maybe 200 is filled. 200 is empty. But you see, Geoff Strat has asked a question, and he wants us to look at it. Is weekend attendance your only measure? And it says that in post-COVID era, that is irrelevant. And we're going to discuss that a bit in the next 10 minutes. You help him over time and I'll be wrapping up. So we celebrate the largest and the fastest growing churches as the models we have to emulate. Right? But that is not it. Can we go fast? The challenge is that healthy things aren't the only things that grow. Weeds grow faster than healthy plants. Cancer cells in bodies kill the body by growing faster than other healthier cells. By focusing on numerical growth in the church, we may inadvertently feed the very thing that could choke the true health. I've been to a church in Chicago that's 620,000. I was telling friends that the parking space alone is almost, I can't imagine, but those of you who have been to uh, Pastor Bill Heibel's church before. There was a place they showed me only helicopters parking. There are people come to church with helicopters. I'm not making this up. If you've been to Chicago, you know about the Harvest. What, what's the name again? Those of you who have visited there, that's where they run the 
the Global Leadership Summit in the Africa. Please, what's the name? Willow Creek Church. So I am not making it. They are, they are, the parking space, you can get lost. Every parking space has a whole direction. So you can forget where you park. It's a good church. But you see, after a while, I had to do a whole study because books were written about the church. One of the things we saw is that the fact that it's big doesn't make it healthy. That there are people who can be in church for one year who has no relationship with anybody in the church. The 20,000 members. And that shocked Pastor Bill at the time when the research was done that it had to be intentional to start to break the big numbers down. After a while, he realized that the solution was in motorcycle. And letting people stay wherever they are. You don't need to come to church with a little bit. If you are coming that far, maybe we need to build a church there for you. And have a pastor there for you. So, Willow Creek started breaking into small groups and being intentional in having community. I know in Wheaton, they even started a church. So, people don't have to ride to Wheaton for almost 45 to 50 minutes drive to Willow Creek. That's the name of the town. That's the name of the church. Willow Creek Church. My point I am making today is that there's nothing wrong in going big. It's about how healthy you are growing. If you grow big and there are small group interactions, and the church gives opportunity for ministry, like Saddleback. I went to California to watch a model with, with Pastor Ray. And it was so different from Willow Creek. Though they almost set the same numbers. Willow Creek is doing 20,000 plus. Pastor Ray is doing 20,000 plus. But if you go to Pastor Ray's campus, you'll be surprised you might not find a big edifice that takes more than 5,000. It's a different small group, different language. It's almost like a typical of a Calvary Baptist church type. And different kind of services. In different kind of, they have over 300 ministries. And some go as much as international. To Rwanda, to Uganda. Small ministry, can you imagine? The point I'm making is, growing big we are talking about is not just about filling our seats. And getting the church to grow to two or three or five thousand. It won't be a bad idea, but it can be an unhealthy growth. So let's come home. What am I talking about in terms of measure? Let's go. Three things I wanted to take note here. Maybe we need to start look at our neighbors and our followers and our disciples. See, truly understand how healthy we are as a church, we have to know how we are caring for these three circles. I call it the NFD. Today, that's really my proposition. For my three of Papa Sermon. NFD. Neighbors, followers, and disciples. So what's my first one? Our neighbors. What our neighbors need, and take note, is compassion. What our neighbors need is compassion. And I'm talking about your neighbor to the house you live. Your neighbor to your office you work. To your neighbor to where you go and buy from the market. Where you do your hair at the salon. Your neighbor. A neighbor is anyone who comes into contact with your church. Neighbors live next door to the church, next door to people who attend your church. Your neighbors are the people who serve your members in restaurants, stores, marketplace. Your neighbors may never walk into your church, but they are still your responsibility. So people who live in, I know the BMU have tried to engage some of the occupants of gallery. They are our neighbors. And you are right to do even they said no. We need to keep looking for opportunities to engage. This building coming up with 200 units, expecting about 50% occupancy by September. We are our neighbors. We need to have compassion. A healthy church cares for their neighbors both corporately and personally. A major component of the mission of our church, 
of any church is to discover where our neighbors are hurting and how we can help them. So if you see that there's fire in the kiosk estate, you say, but what does kiosk estate have to do with Calvary? The kiosk estate is next door neighbor to the Presby Church. But this church stood up. Many of you broke clothes. Many of you cooked. I remember Tejo and the rest. We sent food to the people because their kiosks and their containers were burnt to ashes. They couldn't carry anything. I took clothes from WME to give to a lot of the women who were staying there. Some of you men gave me clothes and gave to the people there. Some of them ended up in our church. They felt the compassion of church. Look for your neighbor and see where he's at. You might not be a Christian, maybe a Buddhist. Your love and your compassion can set him as interesting. Why are you so nervous? Number two, can we go on? Our followers, what they need is a provision. Who are our followers? How are we providing for their needs? A follower is anyone who considers your church their church. But this is tricky, right? Because there are a lot of people who claim your church whom you've never met. Look, if you go to Adabraka, it's so practical there. Almost everybody who lives around there says, oh, Kari is our church. But they don't come to church on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Oh, Papa will tell you. But somebody would die. It's also for, uh, my uncle just died. Can we do the burial service here? All the time that uncle lived around, he never came to the church. But we make room for them. And by the time we finish the funeral service, some members have joined the church. Those are followers. All right? They may attend only Christmas and Easter. So coming Easter, some will come to church. Please, they are our followers. Don't make them feel bad. Ah, we haven't seen you the whole year. Please, that language deleted from your tenses. They are our followers. Okay? They may attend only Easter. They may drop in a few times in a year. They may just watch online. Yes, but a follower will consider your church the place to, I think, quickly, let's do it, a place they want to get married. When they are ready for marriage, they'll ask, oh, I've seen a girl I want to marry. What can you do to help me? Then we direct them to family life to help them. Some will become members. Some they will marry they will still come to church. They said, I don't want wedding. You know. I just want advice. And then you pray for us. We'll do a few warrior and we are done. By your neighbors. They have a family member's funeral. Like I said, they want to be baptized. They want their children. They are people who drop off their children to church and they go. They are followers. They did, if they have a chance, say, Pastor, can you come to my house and dedicate? You can't say, but you don't come to my church. Why are you calling me? I've never said that. I've gone to dedicate babies. Look, so last year, I started church in Oibi, and then a friend I met invited to church. Oh, his friend used to go to church, but when he had a pregnancy out of wedlock, the church literally sat. He's been trying to reach. They said he has to do some things, and it's not done, so they will not dedicate the baby. I went to the house and dedicated the baby. I'm not against that church. I just felt that baby has no sin. The mother may have done wrong. He may need to go to discipline. But I think leaders must go along with that person. We don't suck. They may be followers. Are you hearing what I'm saying? No, it's right to judge me. But sometimes that is the only bridge they have to have their sanity. And God can use that to draw them. Can you believe? After a while, I started following up, encouraging her. She's gone back to church with the baby. Not my church. To the former church, they will not dedicate the baby. She's in church now. Hello? Walk in for counseling. Some will just walk here. Pastor, I'm tired. I want to die. I want to die. So why are you telling me? If you want to die, pastors don't care. I just feel like coming to talk to you. That means there's an opportunity for the person to change his mind. Hello? So when sometimes I send them to Dickens, please Dickens, it's not because I don't want to handle, but I want you to listen and be part of this. They are followers. They are not. You know, remember the King James, the woman who came, who said we should take his momo and send him momo, send her momo. 
You remember that woman? I said 50 is not enough. If we can send 200, she's a follower. She doesn't come to church, but when she has a need, she thinks this church is big. There are big people here. There's money. I'll come for some. Those are our followers. Regardless how deep your connection is, if they consider your church their church, they are followers. And you have a responsibility for them. The bigger your church grows, the more followers you attract. Conservatively, your church has twice as many followers. So if you are 200 in a room, we have another 200 followers. So technically, if you're a pastor, your mindset must be helping 400 people. Is that right? we in the house. On Monday 17th, if we're able to do the games, we'll see a lot of followers. And it's a good time to engage our followers. Some of them don't like religious activities, but do football, do cooking. When we are doing Christmas party, do you see how many people come? Many are our followers. Dickin, I mean, when you go for your next small group dinner, your followers will come. The bigger your church grows. So a church of 300, like I said, 600. A church of 500 has 1,000 followers. We love to attract huge crowds. But if we are faithful to Jesus' example, we have to also provide for the needs. You think the 5,000 people Jesus fed on the desert were Jesus' church members? They were not even within his disciples. That's why he asked them, what can we do? What did the other people say? Send them away. Many of us will behave like those disciples. Why do we have responsibility towards people who don't bring tight here, who don't support? They are not even members, let alone to call members of good standing. No, we need. This is what I'm talking about church growth. You will have followers. They won't bring tight. They won't register their name, but you have a responsibility towards them. And I'm telling the choir, if you want your growth to be evident, there are people who love music, who can even sing, but they are not church members. They are within the followers group. We need to look for them and get them to become disciples. The last one, our disciples. What they need is direction. So this is a research work. I am actually going over what Geoff said for many churches. The churches who get it, they grow organically. We are not talking about growing anyhow. Growing within and out and taking care of people. So our disciples, what they need is directing them towards Christ. Who are disciples? How are we directing them? A disciple in this context is anyone committed to the vision, the mission, the values of our church. Includes the pastors, the deacons, the staff, leaders, as well as committed attenders who support and love our church. We are responsible to do everything possible to ensure that the disciples are growing in their faith and reflecting the model of Christ. The growth of this disciple was Jesus' primary mission. He taught them, challenged them, rebuked them, all with the goal of seeing them grow in the understanding of him and their commitment. So Santa, he will give a parable to the followers and then the disciples will come to him and then will ask him, what is the meaning of a parable who went to sow, the, the, the sower who went to sow seeds? And what does it mean that some fell here, five minutes to wrap, thank you. Some fell here, some fell there, and then he takes time and breaks it down to them. Those are disciples. Those are you. Whether it's raining or shining, you are the real people. You show up in church. Even when it's not popular, COVID, you showed up in church. When we have to wear masks, chin chin, we show, even when they say we should take the mask off, you are still come with your mask on. You are a true disciple. You are a true disciple. You are not taking chances. Hello? You are the people we have a direct responsibility to. When Jesus knew his time was near, but like next week is Palm Sunday, and then the following week we'll do a Passion Week. 
Remember what happened from Saturday when he went to Bethany all the way when he did a triumphant entry to Jerusalem. And he says, have five days to the Passover. Means to Thursday where he will sit and have the communion. And he started teaching them. So John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, we're all talking about it. And that is where he got so personal with the disciples. We get deeper and closer with our disciples. And if we as pastors are not doing it, please pray for us. And I can confidently say we are not doing well with our disciples, including me. Because there are many of you, I don't know where you live. And if there's a deacon here, you are deacon over an area, you haven't visited every member within deacon. You and your pastor, we are not doing well. Hello? Except the member says, Pastor, you wait. I don't want you to visit now. But we should make the effort. It's a deeper kind of thing. We care about them enough. We make phone calls. We visit. We pray. Even if they don't ask for prayer, we pray for them. So we have a list. Among the pastors, we, we do this often. Almost every month, we have a list that goes around with different people and we pray. And sometimes we follow up with phone calls. I think we can do even better. But that's where disciples come in. All right? As he faced the cross, his attention was on the 12 men who will soon abandon him. His commitment to the disciple wasn't based on how much they gave, how much they led, how much they said. And I can tell you on authority, this church, we don't look at trying to visit people or pray for people. That I am very certain. When the list comes, it is not about member of group. It's only during election we have members of those who are good standing there. It's for purpose of election. Never for care. But for many of us, we never see your tithe. If there's anybody perhaps who may have seen your tithe, will be the senior pastor or those who really work on the money. The point is that if you are a member of this church, you are a disciple. Whether you come to church often or not, we have a responsibility towards you. This is a commitment we are called to as leaders in the church. We are never told we will give an account for the number of people we can convince to sit in an auditorium. Are you getting what I'm saying? It's not about those who show up on Sunday. It's about those who don't even show up on Sunday. He left the 91, 99, and he goes for the one. We will, however, be held accountable for the disciples who follow us as we follow Christ. How are we loving them? How are we helping them to grow? Healthy churches love deeply and they grow disciples. This is where our church lacks. This is the difficult part we have to travel with as a church. We do well in many things, but we lack authentic love and care for one another. We don't. And I'm saying it. Me, I don't. And we need to work. As I work on I said, no, I can love people better than I'm doing. I can really care for people better than I'm doing. It's a challenge I'm throwing to you today. So what do we do? There is a shift. I'm proposing a new scorecard. We're not going to just measure 200 people came to the auditorium. All right? We're going to look at, before online church, ability to work from anywhere. Weekend attendance was decent indicator of effectiveness of a church. Today, weekend attendance is nothing more than popularity contest. The winner is the church with the best preacher. Okay? With exciting choir, coolest website, beautiful auditorium. Churches may grow to thousands overnight. And we all want to know the secret to the phenomenal growth. The bigger question is how are we caring for the flock God has entrusted to us? So really, I don't care if we have a thousand member church. It would be nice, but I really don't care if we don't care about them. And sometimes our faithfulness to the 200 people our faithfulness to a small group of 20 under you as a Sunday school teacher. Your faithfulness as a member of OSHA or the head of OSHA, caring for OSHAs. And the pastor providing an, a pastoral oversight will make a more difference. And perhaps all of us feel like everybody is okay. Pastor, no problem. No problem. No. Or problem, the biggest problem is about the people who's been called to serve. Are you hearing me? 
doesn't look like a message you want to say amen. Yeah, because I'm finishing my sermon. My time is actually up. And I'm saying, how can we discover the true needs of the followers of our church? And how can we know we are meeting those needs? So if we as a church don't care for ourselves, how will we care for the followers? How can we care for the others, our neighbors? Because we are not even caring for the disciples. So how will it occur to care for the followers and the, the neighbors? That is why sometimes you see churches as it is. It is. This empty church just shows part of it. I'm not saying all. Part of it is that we are not caring enough. Because there are people in our group after service who will not call to check on us. Sometimes I ask for the list to go to. I call food and I get out. My point is, there are a lot of interruption in my work. And when will they become the person who is in front of me is my, my, my first priority. So sometimes I do forget. But my point is, if all of us start to do our part, I don't know how the church will look like. If you care for the member who is by you and is not in church today, that's when growth starts to happen. So how can we make sure disciples around us are growing more like Christ? When are we faithful with the people God gives us, our neighbors, our followers, our disciples? He can trust us with more. When we are faithful, the Lord will trust us with more. Our job is to plant and water. It is God's job to make it grow. What if over the next 20 years we become as intentional on measuring and improving how we are caring for people as we have been filling buildings? If the measure has changed, now we are not measuring how many people came to church. We are actually asking, how many people did we call this week? How many people have we called at the church? I'm asking Uncle Ralph. Uncle Ralph, how many Sunday teachers, teachers have you filled up this week? How many of them are doing well spiritually? How many of them have challenged? If we start to measure these things, the church will grow. It's organic growth. But if people are hurting and nobody cares, and all we care about is us, ourselves, and how God will give us breakthroughs, and how we fast and pray, and it's all for us, and not for the neighbors, and not for the followers, and not for the disciples. The church can grow. It's simple like that. We should forget about growth. Even if it grows, it won't be a healthy growth. So, wow, I had this. Wow, I thought I'm done. Sorry, can we finish this? No, let's finish, let's finish. Let's finish this. I had this on my last slide. Steps to organizing your church. Notice the problem. All that I've said is that we have a problem. If you can't find a problem, talk to your Sunday school teacher. Talk to me. Talk to a deacon. We have a problem. The problem is that we don't care enough. For our neighbors, we don't care enough. By who? For our followers, we don't care enough for our disciples. Making a commitment to grow. Look, the other side is that those who refuse to grow, they die. If you find a tree that is not growing well, it will soon die. Because it's not bearing fruit, it's not taking enough food from the sun, it will soon wither and die. You want to be a dying church. You want to be a dying Christian. Refuse to grow. Hello? When we grow towards Christ, we live. Even when we die, we shall live. Am I communicating? A commitment to grow and then owning the responsibility. Sometimes when we talk about church growth, we are thinking about the pastor in charge of planting churches. I can go to OEB and start a church. I'm going to Community 25 to start a church. But the growth at Community 25 is not me. It's the people there. It's Afutu and the team who have started doing evangelism. I go to create a structure. I go to make, get permissions. But the real work is us. That is why Ephesians chapter 4 remains relevant. Say the whole work of the prophet who see, the teacher who teaches, the pastor who pastors, is that we will equip the body of Christ. Can we put that scripture out? Ephesians 4, I think 13, 14. And I will finish my sermon. Owning the responsibility. This is not a responsibility you are looking Oh, is that Dickens? They are not doing their work. Ask yourself, anytime you say Dickens is not doing you, what part are you playing? 
Hello? You know the people who gossip in church who talk about people? They do nothing. If you really are doing something, sometimes you don't even have the time to gossip. You don't even see. You remember the example? He was on WhatsApp video for a while. A man who was complaining, the pastor gave him a cup of water to run through the church. He said, don't make anything spill. By the time he came, I said, did you see anybody when you were running? He said, no, my focus was on the water. If you get focus on ministry in church, you don't see why people don't do anything. Hello? Owning the responsibility. The church must adjust our ministry teams. So I'm challenging the choir. I'm challenging the hospitality team. I'm a cha- it is not enough just to have few members. If you want your members to go. Auntie Phyllis, Dr. Phyllis, fish. If you want to have more members, let's go for the followers. Let's look for our neighbors who want to serve in hospitality. Let's make a path and open door and invite people in. There are many people who stay in church because they want to sing in the choir, because they serve in church, because they want to be on mission with life ministries to the north. Let's give people opportunity. That is how we own responsibility. And my last slide, I hope, is supposed to be the last one. What's your response? Okay. What's your response? Skip the other one. After the last one. So are you a neighbor? Ask yourself, are you a follower or you're a disciple? That is my NFD. Okay. Are you a neighbor? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know your followers? Everywhere you live, we have neighbors. And whatever you are doing, now it's easy to use social media to talk about those following you. Because at least on Twitter, you have about 100 people following you. On Instagram, you have 1,000 following you. On Facebook, you have 5,000. Anybody with 5,000 followers on Facebook? Or 5,000 friends on Facebook? Oh, you are denying it today, but we know your status. We know. You have 5,000. Some of you, you can't even accept new requests because I am a. So now you have opened another page and you call it the celebrity one. The one you can have over 10,000. Now we have Pastor Cecil's Just for example. But I want you to know. Follow it. So what are you going to do for them this Easter? From now to Easter. From now and beyond Easter. What are we going to do for our neighbors? Where you live, you have neighbors. Have you heard about them? That's our church doing. Neighbors inviting neighbors. Followers inviting followers. There's something on TikTok that like, say, follow and let me follow. Follow, follow. I don't know whether you've, those of you have seen that social media for TikTok. Say, follow, follow. When they go, come on live. Say, follow me, follow them. Follow, follow, follow. All the talk is follow. That's the first way Jesus used. Say, come and follow me. Now, thank you, Jesus. Hello, today we use follow, but we don't even mean it. You can follow somebody you don't know anything about. But we want to do it. So, uh, can we project that scripture? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, 12, 13. I think gifting and callings, you use that scripture a lot about equipping the whole church. Today, that's the prayer I want us to reflect in as I finish the service. Find yourself somewhere and ask yourself the question, what am I doing? Not all of us will be preachers. So, Christ himself gave this apostle, yes, go on to verse 12 for me. To equip, this is the word, to build people up. To, to, to strengthen people for works of service, for works of ministry, so that the body of Christ will be built. Until we do it this way, the Christ's body will never be built. If it's all about the pastors and the deacons, Christ's body will never be built. Because that was not the original design of God. Real church growth happens when everyone finds his space and do what comes to you by God's grace, organically, naturally. What you feel like doing in church. So sometimes when I hear people say, oh, I think they miss it. Look, not all of us will be prayer warriors. Some of us will be kinky eaters. And through our kinky eating and fellowship, we can engage other kinky people and get them to know Christ. No, we are fasting, but I want to make you, we don't fast throughout the year. 
There is a season we take time to fast and pray. But I can tell you that for the rest of the year we eat. What about any time you are eating, you are inviting somebody for food to eat? No, hardly do people reject lunch and dinner. Can I, can I say something? Jesus ate more than he fasted. And that's why the people call him gluten. But he says his actions are justified. So why was he always eating with the tax Because that was a common ground to reach people. Oh, clap for Jesus, not me. I am not saying don't, I am fasting. Can't you see I'm looking slimmer and I'm looking good? I'm a year faster now to 17. Today I realized that my belt was not helping. So for the first time, the thing was hanging. I have to use my fist to hold my. means the fasting is working on me. It's good. But believe you me, anytime you are eating, think about the best person. Hello? That's why I end my sermon. Can we bow our heads? Who equip his people. No, there was verse 13. Give it to me. As, please, we are praying. I'm reading for your edification. Until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. This work is not one man show. This work is not for the few select. Whatever you find. Bible says whether we eat or we drink, whether we fast or we pray, we must do it all to the glory of God. Nothing to boast of. Nothing to show of. God is calling you. He's calling you as part of his church growth. We have had enough in the last three weeks. What are you going to do about it? Is it going to be another Sunday sermon where you see your neighbor and you will not connect? When you have followers, you will do nothing about it. And the church remains empty. There's a new scorecard. It's not about how many people sit in church on Sunday. It's about how many people we are caring and loving, showing compassion, providing their needs, directing them towards Christ within and outside the church. The many people you're able to employ, Mr. Takra, that is the way you are building the kingdom. And as much you are intentional about them in getting to know Christ, you are doing far better than bringing people to church who don't want to do anything for Christ. So from our workplaces, from the street, our neighborhood, the street, the people who go for work in the morning. Let's just be intentional. Before you know it, they are asking you questions. And you are directing them to Jesus. Amen. Can we take the hymn?